All right. Well, hey, guys. Hi. People usually say good morning and then no one says good morning. It says good morning again. So I'll just say, hey, guys, what's going on? And that's OK. So, yeah, so I'm glad to be here. And so thanks for having me. Um, and your pastor, um, Pastor Steve, who is becoming a good friend of mine, is uh, down uh, in, in my pulpit. I asked him, I sent him an email this week. I said, so we're doing this, this pulpit swap thing. Are like, you actually bringing your pulpit? Like, am I supposed to bring mine? Are you bringing yours? I, I don't have a car big enough, but if we have to borrow a truck, we can swap. But he left us here, and I'm standing behind it now. And, uh, and so it's good to be here. Now, I will tell you this. I've preached in other people's churches, but I have never kind of done this, this pastor swap thing for a week. And so this is the first time I've ever done this. And I, I guess I'm kind of a new pastor um, and uh, our church is about six years old now, and uh, and God has been doing good things. He's been blessing our church as He's been blessing yours. And but as I've kind of been praying about this, and this was really Dr. Brandon's idea. So your pastor's dad, you know, you know, um, Dr. Brandon, Stan, and and Miss Barb. Um, so he said, Hey, I got a great idea. Like, what if you guys swapped one week? And I was like, Well, I don't think that your son wants to have to shave his head and grow a beard. And so. But I'm fine, like, having hair again and not having a beard, and so let's do it. And uh, he said, no, that's not what I mean, and so we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And so I, well, I've never done that before, and so kind of leading up to it and, and thinking about it and praying towards it and, and wondering, like, why we do this. And, like, you guys are in Rockford and we're DeKalb, like, we're, so we're pretty close to each other, and I think it's good to, to see other people and, and learn from them. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I've been asking the Lord for, um, as I've been preparing to come to you, spend time with you guys this week, has just been this. You guys are church plants, right? I mean, you're more of an established church. Is anybody around still that was here like about 12 years? When did you guys start? About 12 years? About 12 years old? Yeah? There are some people around like from back then. And so you remember what that's like, right? You remember what, what church planting is, is like. And, and, and so your church is about twice as old as our church is. And so one of the things I was kind of hopeful for is that the pastor Steve might go down to, to our people and say, hey, this is who you're going to become. And so I should probably take a, a selfie with all of you guys and say, this is who you're going to become. This is what it's going to look like for us in kind of this next season. Because for the last five or six years, we have, we've been the mission. Right? We, we, we've been the, the ones knocking on doors and inviting people to church. We've been the ones you know, helping to set up and, and, and call people. We, we tell people it's good to go to India and China, but, but in DeKalb it's good to go to Target and Walmart and meet some people and invite them to, to church. And if you've been to Walmart in DeKalb, like the whole world is there anyways. And so um, saves you a trip to Nepal uh, every once in a while. Uh, and so what, what I wanted to come into was this. While I hope that your pastor might go to our church and say, this is what it's going to look like. Where you guys have been the mission and now you, you need to become missionaries. Right? You've been the church plant. We've, we, people have helped you. And now you're an established church, and this is what the next 12 years looks like. And you guys are going to start going to Nepal like Pastor Steve goes to Nepal every once in a while. And so that's what I hope he's um, telling our people. And what I wanted to do for you is just kind of remind you and what it was like when you maybe first started, or, or what it's like to first kind of start a church. In, in church age, like you guys know how dog ages, like every year is like seven years for a dog. I think there's a, there's a formula, I don't know precisely what it is, but, but for churches it's sort of the same thing. I think a 12-year-old church, you guys are fairly established. Look at all the kids you guys have. Right? It's, amazing. it's great. It's amazing. Look at all the babies and the grown-up kids. Our church, everybody's just pregnant ladies right now. 
And we have, we have tons of babies, and that's awesome. Like, praise the Lord. But they're not grown-up kids. Some of the oldest kids are, are Noel and Calvin, a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. And so, so while you guys are kind of in that established, you know, like, um, we, we've got our college degree, we're, we're married, we're starting our family, like, you, you guys are kind of in that church mind, like, you're, you're kind of career, you're rolling, right? You've got to kind of roll on for a long time. Our church is in this creepy adolescence, going through kind of puberty, pimply, you know, all that. Like, so we're this really ugly church right now with a lot of problems, right? We're, we're coming home and we're like upset about a relationship that didn't last through the, the lunch period. You're like, what's going on? And, and so we have a hard time just getting things together week by week when you guys are, you guys are rolling now, right? And so one of the dangers in rolling, though, and I'm not accusing you of this, but I want to remind you of it is from 1 John um, chapter 1. That's what I'm going to preach from today. The first chapter. While your church is 12 years old and our church is 6 years old, one of the things I think is so imperative, so vital to Jesus' church, is that whatever age we are, we always need to be reminded about who Jesus is and what brilliant good news the Gospel is. And so what I want to come to this, do this morning is, is to, 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 to remind you who Jesus is and, and to see your faces again be, begin to shine and, and to be glad. I'm going to call you sinners this morning. And you're going to be like, no, like, like we, we're in our career now. Like we, we, we've, we've done away with sin. We, we, we put that away. Our, our kids are sinful, but we've got it all figured out now. And I'm going to remind you, you have, don't have it figured out. And yet God still loves you. And He saves you. And He's good. And so let me pray. And let's look at First John. And God, um, I do. I ask for your help this morning, um, that you would cause us um, to see your word. And so I pray that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the scriptures, that we um, would see the brilliance of who you are, and that the Bible wouldn't just be basic instructions before leaving Earth, but it would it would be the beautiful information about the living, eternal God. We would know you, and I pray, God, um, that your Holy Spirit would make us to see ourselves. And truly to see ourselves, to see ourselves in the light of your holiness and not our um, relativizing who's on the nine o'clock news. But to see ourselves, God, in your presence as holy and dependent, not holy, but, but sinful and dependent and needy. And then, God, that we might see the gospel and that we remember that you save sinners and some of us are the foremost you would remind us, God, of your tender compassion and love and, and all the, the buts and the yets while we continued in sin, yet you're gracious. And so, God, help us to see these things this morning, that we might be refreshed and revived and stirred, and that we might go out and share good news with other people. So, God, help the gospel be good news for us this morning, so that it might be good news for those who might hear it this afternoon. This is my prayer, and we ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, uh, first John, go ahead, open up your, your Bibles there. Um, on the way down here, um, my kids, uh, they were going through their Bibles, and they're asking me, Dad, are we going to preach? And, and I said, first John, chapter 1, 10 verses. Oh, so you're going to stop in, in world and say, oh, no, baby, you're like in, in the first first John. Like, you're in the Gospel of John. So, so if you're in the Gospel of John, you need to turn a little bit deeper. And actually, the book that says John with a 1 in front of it. And so that's where we're at. First John, chapter 1. And look at how John reminds us of the beauty of Jesus and the gospel. Here's what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands 
concerning the Word of life. The life was made manifest and we've seen it and we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we're writing these things so that our joy may be complete. These are some of my favorite words. Every time I say that, I'm like, they're really not. Like, I mean, I can say that about any passage in the Bible, pretty much. But these are, for at least right now, some of my favorite words in the whole entire Bible. And, and the first point of really only two points, maybe two points of application as we, as we go on, is, 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 is just this. And, and I know that Pastor Steve makes you kids, you got all these blank spaces to fill out. That's pretty cool. And so here's the first one. Imagine John. Here's John. He's the same dude who walked with Jesus. He's one of the sons of thunder. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. He's the same guy who wrote the book of Revelation. He's a man who walked with Jesus. And look what he says. That which was from the beginning. Who's he talking about? Jesus. That which, which was from the beginning, but he would add this even to say, but who had no beginning. That's impressive for a second, right? I mean, I saw somebody in here with a Packer jersey and I almost left. So I don't know where he is. I think he left. So praise the Lord for that. I'm just picking on you. I'm just totally kidding. Um, I'm a Bears fan. But, uh, but I mean, we can get excited about a lot of things, right? We can get excited about our kids. We can get excited about sports. We can get excited about coming to church on Sunday. We need to be excited about Jesus. And here's what John says. That which was, was from the beginning. And, and not only was he from the beginning... Eternity passed. Like, like the, uh, he, there was never a time that He was not. And then there was a time that He was with us. This is crazy. Look what He says. We, we heard Him. We, we saw Him with our eyes. We, we looked upon Him. We touched Him with our hands. And He is the Word of life. This is eternal life that Jesus would say. That you would know God. And, and God, we just celebrated this over Advent, didn't we? That God has become flesh and He has dwelt among us that we would see Him and, and know Him and hear from Him and touch Him. And John is a guy who what? Who actually does this. And he walks with Jesus. And so, so the first thing here is that when, when we experience Jesus and the Gospel, I mean, imagine John. When we experience Jesus and the Gospel, we enjoy God and the Gospel. Don't you? Here's John, and, and imagine him for a second. Don't imagine the other John. Don't imagine John, not John's imagined. So you know the Beatles. And so uh, imagine there's no heaven. Imagine that there is heaven. And imagine that Jesus is its king. And that's good news. Then this is such good news, John says. We, we, we heard him, we looked at him, we, we touched him. And then look down at verses 2. So when we experience Jesus in the Gospel, we, we enjoy God. And we're, we're transformed by Jesus in the Gospel. And that's not all. Then we start telling other people about Jesus in the Gospel. John says, I, I, we heard Him, we, we saw Him, we, 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 we talked to Him, we, we, we ate tacos with Him. They probably didn't eat tacos with Him, but they, they, they ate other things. They're just making sure who's listening. And that's not a blank for your kids. Like, where does taco go in this blank? There's no taco blank. Um, but when, when, when you hear him and see him and enjoy him, you start telling other people about him. 
verse number 2 and 3 and 4. The life was made manifest. And we've seen it and we testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Not which we've seen and heard, we, we proclaim. And, and that, this is that word for, for good news. This is such good news that we, we, we can't not tell you. We proclaim to you so that you too might have fellowship. So that you too might, might be with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And verse number 4, we're writing these things because we're happy and we want to be perfectly happy. Jesus and the Gospel is, is good news. And everything else that I'm going to say this morning, because this is just the intro, we, we could smile and, and, and nod our heads in agreement and say, man, Jesus is beautiful. But you know what? He's even more beautiful than we're thinking right now. And, and, and we won't get to that. We won't arrive to the rest of the things that I want to say today. And none of this really works unless we can imagine John and imagine what he's talking about. And so to do that, we, we really need to, to broaden our view of what John is talking about and what is the gospel and who is Jesus. And so who is Jesus and, and what is the gospel? So our church, um, so we're part of the Acts 29 uh, church planting network. And um, we get in some trouble for that sometimes because people say, Acts 29, like what in the world is that? And so we, we started to explain that the book of Acts ends with the 28th chapter. And if you've ever read through the book of Acts or heard a sermon series on it, you know that basically the book of Acts is just the proclamation that Jesus has risen from the dead. I mean, take it or leave it. No apologetics, right? Like no, no dating dinosaurs, no, no, none of that kind of stuff in the book of Acts. It's just Jesus is risen from the dead and he's either the king or he's not. Take it or leave it. And wherever people said that, churches were planted all over the world. And, and so Acts 29 is, is kind of like, what is God still doing as the message of Jesus and His resurrection and His kingship is still being proclaimed and churches are still being planted? So we're, we're exclusively a church planting network. That's almost all that we do. Well, that really is all that we do. And, and it's all over. It, it, it's here in northern Illinois. And it's in India. It's in Japan. It's in Western Europe. And, and so it's just this commitment to the gospel being preached and churches being planted. And so we say this very often. We say, we say this word gospel. How many of you guys have heard the word gospel before? Right? I mean, like every hand should, should be raised, right? Like we, we've heard it. But what, one of the things in, in our church, um, in our church planting network, um, it, with the gospel is that we, we say this, we've, we've, we've tried to untruncate it. You see, for, for a long time, the gospel has just kind of become the, the plan of salvation, Right? I mean, when we think of the gospel, sometimes we think of that way. It's just, it's just the plan of salvation. Or sometimes when we, when we think of the gospel, we, we think it's just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's just it's the parts of the story of Jesus. And both of these are good, but, but listen, what I want to get across this morning is that the gospel is so much bigger. The gospel is so much more brilliant and beautiful than even we have yet to behold. And I tell people this way, when, when I graduated from seminary, and I, I didn't grow up in the church, I, I was not churched for most of my life. My mom, a very Catholic family, and so we went to church whenever she felt guilty about something, Christmas or Easter, whenever my mom felt guilty about something, we'd go to church, and I'd be like, mom say, let's go to church, kids. Well, we're playing Nintendo. I was like, well, mom must have done something. We've got to go to church, you know, so let's go. And, and so I, I grew up with almost zero influence on Bible doctrine, uh, theology, preaching. I didn't know any of this stuff. But I would say to you, and when I graduated seminary in 2006, I went late, um, I would say this, I did not know what the gospel was. 
And you're like, well, what kind of seminary did you go to? I went to one of the best seminaries in our country. I went to Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas. And it was a great school. But I would say this. I did not know what the gospel was when I graduated seminary. Because I thought the gospel was just this. I thought the gospel was just our, our ticket to heaven. I thought the gospel was just our going and, and, and sharing the plan of salvation and people believing and praying a prayer and getting baptized and being plugged into the church and then reading the left-behind books until Jesus came back. I, I thought that's what it was all about. And, and it's not. It's so much bigger. It's so much more beautiful. Um, ladies, most of you that are married, some of you are wearing diamond rings, some bigger or some smaller. And the gospel is the most beautiful gem that is on you. And like the diamond ring that is on your finger, it is many faceted. And every facet shows a different color and a, and a true beauty of who Jesus is, who God is, how ugly our sin is, and how great God is to still love us and to save us. And so the gospel is much more than just the plan of salvation. The gospel is the, the whole true story of Jesus' perfect life, His substitutionary death, His, his burial, His resurrection, and His reign. The Gospel, Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the Gospel because it is what? It is the, the power of God for salvation. And, and for, for too long, the church, I think, has sat by saying salvation just means this is how we're going to get to go to heaven. But salvation is so much more, so much broader, than, so much bigger, so much more, many faceted than that. The gospel is the power of God for salvation, but salvation, if I could just tell you uh, six things that I think salvation is just this morning, I would say this, that the gospel is the good news of justification. And justification, how many of you guys have ever heard that word before? I know you have a, you have a pastor theologian, right? Like, like you have a, I have a, I'm a pastor beard. Like I don't know a whole lot of things. And he, you have a smart pastor. I'm not, I'm a dumb pastor. And so, uh, you've probably heard the word justification before in, in this church, right? And what does justification mean? Justification means this, just as if I've never sinned. Did you know that in Christ, that's how God sees you? Just as if you've never sinned. I had a really hard week. I sinned a lot this week. And, and yet God still sees me just as if I've never sinned. That's, that's mind-blowing. That, that'll knock the hair off of your head, right? And so ladies, be careful. But justification doesn't mean just as if I've never sinned. It, it also means this. God sees me in Christ just as if I've always been obedient. Have you ever heard that before? That's crazy, right? Come on for a second. Say that's crazy. That's crazy. God sees me just as if I've always been obedient. And you're like, no way. Because I know my sin. Because I know what I've done. I know what I'm struggling with. I know what I'm still doing. And God sees me just as if I've always done the right thing. How is that even possible? The gospel is not just the power of God for justification. The gospel is also the power of God for, for sanctification. You've heard that word too. What does sanctification mean? Sanctification means that, that God has called me out to be His people. And He's changing me into Christ-likeness. You might look in the mirror and say like, man, look at me. I'm a mess, you know. I, I fell off my bike a couple weeks ago. I had like this little scar on my face and started to kind of pop out yesterday after I got done shaving. You're like, you shave? Like, I, I shave parts sometimes. And I'm like, look at me, I'm a mess, you know? And, and we start looking at not just our, our physical beauty or, or what we think is our physical lack of beauty. We, we, we start looking deeper. And we know our sin tendencies. And we, we know who we are struggling with. I'm in a rut, man. 
But the gospel is the power of God to rescue you out of the miry clay, right? Amen? We can say amen. I don't know if you guys say amen. I say amen sometimes. I'll say amen to myself, right? The gospel is the power of God to change you. And for too long, we, we've gone about it like this. Like, well, if you would just believe the plan of salvation, right? And we kind of see it as God kind of picking us up and dusting us off and smacking us on the bottom and say, like, go on and play now and work out your salvation with fear and trembling, like kind of on your own. No way. The gospel is God's power to change you because it's not just work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's him who's working in you. That's God's power. The gospel is not just the power of God for salvation uh, as justification and sanctification, uh, being transformed to be used by God. The gospel is the power of God for adoption. New family, right? The the Bible is very clear that you had a a different daddy, right? And he left you at the fire station somewhere and tossed you in a dumpster like you were following after the prince of the power who is Satan. That was your dad. And yet God being rich in what? His mercy. He saved you. He made you his own. You have a new father, a new family. That is a fantastic power that God's rescuing. The the gospel is justification. It is sanctification. It is adoption. It is also redemption. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says, glorify God with with what? Your your body. The the chaos is being removed. You're you're being put put back together. Um, He says, don't you know that you were bought with a what? A costly price. The gospel is redemption also. It is, it is God's power to, to, to fashion, to, and not just you. We're going to get to this in a second. Um, but to fashion all things new. The gospel is the power of God for, for reconciliation. That you are bought into a real and right relationship with God. And, and, and if I could camp out on this one for just a second. Uh, how many of you guys are familiar with Colossians chapter 3? And you get to that part where it says, um, you need to forgive according to the same way that you've been forgiven. And so I'll tell you this. The, the gospel isn't just how you get to heaven. It's how your marriage is going to last forever. Does that make sense? Because when it says, you need to forgive your, your wife who, who burnt mac and cheese last night. And like, oh man, like you burnt mac and cheese again. Like I can't stand it. It's, fine, it's over, finally. And, and, and you know, like, that's ridiculous, right? Um, somebody somewhere is doing that right now, probably, um, or worse. And so what does Paul say? You need to forgive. Because if, if a holy God has been able to forgive you of all your gross and ugly sin, that your next door neighbor is not God and your relationship is, is much smaller on the spectrum of holiness, isn't it? And so if God can forgive you this, can't you forgive that? And you know what the power for to do that is? It is not your trying harder. It is the gospel. It is seeing how God has loved you and, and He's transforming you, making you to, to have right relationships, not just with Him, with, with other people. The gospel is the power of God for, for glorification. Um, I just had a friend, a 37-year-old dude, he died from cancer last week, and now he will, um, is awaiting his body that will never perish. Right? Um, I, I, we, you look forward to, I don't, know, I don't know if in heaven we're all going to be bald and bearded, like if I'm already like glorified, um, or if I'm going to have like a big rainbow-colored afro. I don't know. Um, but my teeth won't hurt anymore, right? And, 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 and I won't have cancer anymore. And I won't struggle anymore. I will be made never-ending new. And that is all part of God's plan to make all things new. And John was a guy who saw all of this. John was a guy who walked with Jesus, and he saw these things happen. 
John was a guy who, who heard the teachings of Jesus, Jesus explaining all of these things. John was a guy who, who, who saw Jesus healing the sick and, and raising the dead. And I would go so far as to say all, almost all of the miracles that Jesus did in his whole entire ministry were not to prove his deity, but to come and make things right. That God showed up with his kingdom and he said to, to a, little, little, a man who had a little boy who was demon-possessed, after he came down from a mountain and he, was, he showed Mount Transfiguration, and Jesus cured that little boy, not to show off that he was God, but to say, I didn't make little boys to be possessed by demons. And I'm making everything new. That's the gospel. And that's way, I mean, being forgiven of your sins is a big deal. But this is a big deal. It's not only what the gospel is, then. It is also what the gospel accomplishes. And so what does the gospel accomplish? Let's just answer that a little bit more, more quickly. Um, we think back to, to, to what Paul writes to the Romans. Uh, uh, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the, it is the power, it is the, the dynamite of, of God for salvation. And those things being justification, sanctification, adoption, and so on. And so the gospel accomplishes two things. Um, first of all, the gospel accomplishes salvation. It brings those facets of the gospel to us. And when I counsel, and this is kind of, we'll get to application later, when I counsel, when I share the gospel, and that's almost all that I'm ever doing. We do a lot of premarital counseling in our church. We have a lot of people just getting married and stuff. And, and, uh, and premarital counseling, that's easy. Like, that's all philosophy. And, and they, like, love each other. They come in, they're like all snuggling. Oh, man, we're getting married. And I say, well, you're going to get married, and what are you looking forward to? That, well, we love each other, we're going to have babies, and we're going to have money, and we're going to spend all this time together, and it's going to be amazing. And, you're like, and if you've been married for a little while, you're like, yeah, bless your heart, right? <laughs> and so I meet with them three times, and, and I kind of try to coach them, but then what I ask them to do is, after you get married, come back for three times. And when they come back, man, oh my gosh. It's, it, I, I'm a pastoral pastor, and sometimes I, I, I just weep with them. And they come into my office, and, and before over there, like when they're snuggling and rubbing noses, and I'm like, this is gross, man. Like, I'm trying to talk about Jesus, and you're snuggling and stuff, and that's fine, whatever. Um, but they come back, and sometimes they leave a chair in between them. And they say, I, I, I ask them, I say, what, what's one thing that's kind of hard in your marriage right now? And say, oh, we've been married for about a month, and I, I never thought we'd be fighting this much. And I just, oh, Right? Honeymoon's over. I got a t-shirt for you. And, and, I, and, I, and you can't say, like, I told you so, you know. So what do you do? You remind them of the gospel. You remind them that, that you used to be fighting with the Holy God, and He forgave you, and now can you guys forgive each other? Or they come in, they say, well, we've been married for a little while, and, and we're struggling to have kids, and we can't get pregnant, and we really want to have a baby. And what do you do? Like, well, you should just be like Hannah. You know, like, just go back and read the Old Testament of Hannah. Like, if you could just be like her, then, then God's going to give you a baby. That kills people. And instead I tell them, you know what? Um, look at adoption. And God adopted you into his family. And maybe that's, maybe that's what, I mean, God's sovereign. He knows what he's doing. Maybe that's what he wants you to do. Or maybe look at glorification. You're part of a family that's so big, you don't even know. And look at redemption. And, recon- and so you start preaching all of these, these facets and, and so here's the second thing. While the gospel accomplishes salvation, that's our being shaped into Christ's likeness, that's our being perfected. And the gospel also accomplishes this. The whole entire reversing of the curse. 
The gospel is not just our ticket to heaven. The gospel is the, the whole reversing of the whole entire curse. Isn't that amazing? Do you, do you know the first time that the gospel is ever preached in the Bible? You, you know the first time. Shout it out. Say it louder. Cause Genesis. Who said that? Genesis. Right? Is she right? Like, no, like Billy Graham wasn't around in Genesis. Like, it couldn't be precise. Eh? Genesis chapter 3, verse number 15, we call it the, the Proto-Euangelion. It is the first preaching of the good news. What, what's the context of Genesis chapter 3? The fall. Adam, Adam sins and Eve sins. And uh, in, in, in the context of, of their ruining everything, and God coming out with punishments, right? And is He telling Adam, "You're going to be cursed. The ground is going to be cursed with you. Thorns are going to raise up instead of corn." We're familiar with corn, right? And we're also familiar with thorns. Uh, to Eve, uh, your pain in childbearing is going to greatly increase, and that's not just labor. I think my, my wife says this: like that one day, a couple hours of, of pushing, that's not a big deal. But but the next 18 years. I think that's what God's telling that you is going to be. That's the pain in childbearing. Your kids aren't going to want to listen to you. It's cursed. And you know what God does? And he, he tells the serpents, but somebody's coming out of her belly, and he's going to stand on your head. And he's going to make everything right. And so the first time the gospel's ever preached is preached in the context of, of the reversing of the whole entire curse. And we sing this song. Did you guys sing this song over Advent? Joy to the world. You guys sing that at, at Advent time? My, one of my favorite parts of that song is, No more let sin and sorrows reign. Who's crying this morning, right? I see a couple of tissues out, right? Because the gospel is good news and it stirs our heart. And, but, but, but we sing the song, No more let sin or sorrow reign. And I'll tell you this, if you're not crying, and you, hopefully the Holy Spirit's working on your heart and revealing some sin and reminding you you need Jesus too, and so you're crying somewhere. If I cry, I cry. My beard starts coming out, and it's really gross and stuff like that. But, but, but you know this, no more let sin and sorrows reign, nor what? Nor thorns, Genesis 3, infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings nowhere, far as the curse is found. The gospel is the power of God to reverse the curse and remove all the chaos. The gospel is good news. And this is what John's saying. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we've seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we've seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that we might be joyful. And John doesn't stop here. Seeing the incarnation, seeing Jesus, what the gospel accomplishes... John knows the rest. He knows how the gospel is the power of God to remove the whole entire curse because John writes the book of what? The last book of the Bible? Maps. Um, John wrote maps. Just making sure, right? John wrote Revelation. And one of the, one of the best gospel verses um, in the whole entire Bible is Revelation. It says what? I am making all things, what? New. The gospel's good news. And that's why we call it good news. 
right? The gospel is, is big and it is good news. Well, let's, let's keep on moving. Because, we, because the gospel, it, it also needs to be good news for us, okay? And, and how is the gospel good news for us? Um, let's see that. Second, second point. Uh, you, like John, may have heard this story about Jesus. And I bet you have a story to tell too. Look at verses number 5 to 10. Here's what John says. Um, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from a couple sins. What does it say? All sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His Word is not in us. You may have heard from the story that John is telling. And you might have a story too. I mean, hopefully most of you guys have a story. I, 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 I'm not here every week and, and I don't know you. We've not had coffee and I've, I've not asked you those diagnostic questions like if you were to die today, would you stand before God? Like I, I don't know where you guys are at. But, but my guess is in, in most churches, most of us have a story where, where we've heard the story of Jesus and we've been re- made regenerate. We've, we've, we've been converted, right? And I won't make people raise hands, um, but, but you, you, you know, like I, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. There, there came a point in my life where, where I heard things like this. I knew who Jesus was. I, I knew what my sin was. I confessed my sin and asked Jesus to, to change my life, to be my king. And I began to follow him. You know, we, we, we've been converted. And, and, and some of us, we, we've struggled with this, right? And so let me read this again. Verse 5. And this is the message we've heard from him and we, we proclaim also to you. And so maybe that was in a coffee shop or maybe that was in a revival. Maybe, do you know the biggest way, by the way, um, that, that people become new Christians? What do you think it is? Uh, they come to church on Sunday morning? Uh, people get saved that way. If you got saved that way by coming to church on Sunday morning, could you, would you put your hand up? Nobody? Zero people. Really interesting. Uh, one? Okay. Uh, if you got saved at, like, at a, a Billy Graham, like, like a revival, like a, a thing like that, would you put your What did you say? Okay. One. Uh, if you got saved, I'm just going to go for, for the juggly right here. Um, by a friend sharing the gospel with you. Would you put up your hand? Yeah, that's like, if you're not a Christian right now and you want to be one, would you put up your hand? See that little evangelist trick right there? Ah, just come on down here, we'll pray. Uh, now, so I was at Together for the Gospel this year, um, and Mark Dever kind of does that every year, and uh, that's what it was. The, the number one reason that most people became Christians is because they had a friend that shared the gospel with them. And so that's what I'm hopeful that you guys would do today, too. You'd have a friend that you'd share the gospel with. Um, but, but that's what he says in verse number 5. This is the message we've heard from him. We proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness. And so when you heard the gospel, it was presented to you this way, that, that God's holy. There's no darkness in him. And the reason that, that, that he sends sinners to hell um, is because he is perfect in his holiness. And he cannot be in the presence of sin. That's what we say. And, and so we believe this. Verse number 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, but now it gets a little bit harder how many of you guys have read the book of First John or James and kind of struggle with them? Anybody like, oh man, like, 
This is hard. I'm a Christian, and I say that I have fellowship with Him, but but some but sometimes I I sin, and sometimes it feels like I'm I'm walking in the darkness, and so John says that that I'm lying and I'm not practicing the truth. But the good news of the gospel is not that you walk in darkness. It's the very next verse, but we walk in the light. And what does the light do? The light exposes sin. And so the good news of the gospel for us is, is, is not just that it's for somebody else and, and, and it handles their problems, but, but as we are, are being saved, we see that there is sin in our lives still that remains. And these great verses like verse number 7, if we walk in the light as He is in light, we, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus does cleanse us from all of our sins. That's good news. But, but maybe the, the day after that, we, we come across verse number 8. And we, we say this, if we have no sin, what does he say? We're just, we're just lying to ourselves. And the truth is not in us. And we kind of stop there for a second, and, and, then, and then we go on and we read verse number 9, and we're, we're glad. How many of you guys have memorized First John chapter 1, verse number 9? We confess our sin. He's faithful, and He's just. And there's the Gospel, that He's faithful and just. And what does that mean? See, if our story is going to be real so that we'll go out and tell other people, then we need to have a sure conviction that we do have fellowship with God. And the only way that we can know that is the cross of Jesus. I read a book one time. It's called The Gospel for Real Life, written by Jerry Bridges, and it's excellent. And in that book, Jerry Bridges says this, God is not so much a forgiving God as He is a just God. And that kind of strikes us kind of a strange way. Well, God has, has forgiven us, hasn't He? Um, but he's forgiven us because he's faithful and just. See, the, the penalty for our sin has what? Already been paid. And God is faithful and just because Jesus paid for all of our sins. And so the reason that the gospel's still brilliant news is because don't you do this? Don't you go through maybe a, a, a seasons or maybe hours, half hour of repentance and half hour of faith? A season of, man, I, I'm a sinner and I, I'm stuck in the darkness. And, but, and then I read verse number 9, but I'm glad that he's forgiven me of my sins. And I think if we had the whole morning to go through all of First John, I think that's what John says. This is what it means to be a Christian. It means to, to walk in repentance and faith. And the only way you can do that is that you know that your sin has been canceled out. And not just forgiven, not just swept under the rug, but Jesus, the sinless Savior, was nailed to a tree and he paid the debt that you deserved to pay and never could. And that's good news. And there's not a single one of us who doesn't struggle with our stories. There's not a single one of us who doesn't say, man, I, I'm in a season of, of darkness. But I would say you're really not in the darkness. You're, you're walking in the light. Your sin is being exposed. And God is preaching the gospel to you. Reminding you of who Jesus is and what he's done. There's not a single one of us who is not sinful even right now. You guys, I know you're going through the, the book of Leviticus, right? What do you think of, just real quick, hold on, when Pastor Steve said, we're going to go through the book of Leviticus, like, what you guys, what was the sound? What was like, oh, man. I, if I was a part of your guys' church, I'd be like, yeah, yeah. I love the book of Leviticus. You know why? Because Jesus is everywhere. Can, can I steal, can I steal, just don't tell him that I did this, and don't let him listen to the sermon recording, okay? You guys are in, like, Leviticus chapter 9, is that right? Somewhere, somewhere's about there, right? Okay, 
9, 10. Leviticus 15 is my favorite, most favorite chapter of the whole entire Bible. And you're like, you, this guy's crazy. Don't ask him back again. He's funny, but like, don't ask him back. He, Leviticus 15, seriously? Leviticus 15, because it shows the brilliance of who Jesus is. Um, and so can I just like a five-minute sermon on that? And then you know, Pastor Steve will be angry at me, like, oh, you stole my thunder. So uh, just, just like say amen when he says this, okay? Um, Leviticus 15, here's how it goes. It talks about... Um, emissions, uh, not omissions, but emissions, things coming out of your body. That's gross, right? It it, it starts with a a man and it ends with a lady and the whole chapter is chiastic and it comes to this intimate part and we won't talk about that right now, but parts coming out and and stuff, you know what I'm talking about because you're adults. And, and so anyways, it begins with leprosy. And because of leprosy, there are emissions, like sores. Like you, so you're bleeding, right? And like, that's something come out of you. And the Bible says if there's something coming out of you, you are unclean. And you need to be kicked outside. You need to be put outside the camp because you're contagious. Someone else become unclean. And it goes down and it, and it kind of describes all of this. It, if, 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 a, if a person's unclean, and see what happened right there? Like a little spit just came out of my mouth. I won't get too close to you guys. But it, Leviticus 15 says, if, if someone is unclean and they happen to spit on you, do you know what happens to you? Tag, you're it, sucker. Right? You become unclean. And it says this, it says if you're waiting for the bus and, and somebody's at the bus stop and they're sitting there and they're waiting for the bus to come. There wasn't buses in the Old Testament. You know, I'm, I'm contextualizing. And, and they got up and they got on the bus. And then a couple hours later, you came and sat in that same spot. Do you know what happens to you? You're unclean. And you know what God's saying? It's like, it's like zombie stuff. Like, like everyone's unclean. And then it goes down and it switches to, to the ladies. And it talks about what happens um, to you once a month. And, and every time then, you're unclean. Go outside the camp. That's what happens in the Old Testament when they're wandering around the wilderness. Go outside the camp. You're unclean. And, and, and it goes back and, and talks about her. And if you read this with, with gospel lenses, thinking about who Jesus is and what he's done, you remember this story in the early chapters of the Gospel of Mark where this lady, she was bleeding for 12 years. What is she? She's unclean. Just before this lady, a man, his name's Jairus, he comes to Jesus and says, I've seen what you can do. My daughter is dying. Would you come and help me? And Jesus says, yeah, sure. And, and remember, remember the story? And they're, they're walking down the road and, and everyone's pressing in on Jesus. I mean, think about that for a second. And in the midst of that, this lady who's unclean reaches out and she touches Jesus. And Jesus knows this. He senses it. He feels it. What happened to that lady? Here's where the, the gospel is so amazing. What happened to that lady? She got fixed. She became clean. Right? She, she's welcomed back into the society of her culture. But if Leviticus 15 is right, what happened to Jesus? He became unclean. And this is his whole ministry. The gospel is amazing news. And it doesn't just stop there. Like, you have this whole crowd of unclean people doing what to Jesus? Touching him and rubbing shoulders with him all the time. Do you, know, you know what most priests would do? You know what even Moses would do is what? No, 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 don't touch me. Because if you touch me, then I will become unclean. But the heart of the gospel is not just this lady, but, but how does that story end? Jesus goes to Jairus' house and, and the daughter has died. And he, and what, what, what does the Bible say when you touch a dead person? You become unclean. What, what happens when Jesus touches that little girl? 
she becomes clean and he becomes unclean. And if it makes you a little concerned to say that Jesus became unclean, that's the whole message of the Gospel. Summed up in this one little verse that Paul wrote. He who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's amazing. Don't tell Pastor Steve I told about Leviticus 15. He'll get, I'll get in trouble. It's amazing. Here's then the full-on beauty of the Gospel that every single one of us is unclean. Every single one of us, even right now, like we, we put on our church clothes and we think, like, man, I, I, I got it going on, right? We're confronted specifically, I've already mentioned specific sin, we're confronted specifically with, with, with the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. And you're like, man, I'm killing it. I didn't commit adultery this week. Like, if that's you, like, we're dummies. Like, we'll go have a cup of coffee together, right? Well, what does Jesus say? But you have. You've heard it said. Don't murder. But I say to you, dude, you've been angry at your wife all week. You've been angry at your little brother or your little sister all week. And you, that's murder and that's sin. The good news is that we don't stop there. The good news is that the Gospel is this, that before Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount and He told us these hard things, He also said in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to do what? To fulfill them. You know what that means? That He did them perfectly. That Jesus did what we were supposed to do and couldn't do because of sin. That Jesus fulfilled the law, not just so that it would get done, but so that we would be received as God's righteousness. And that's what the cross is. And we, we, we can't look at the cross just as the, the, the putting away of our sin. Martin Luther says that the, the cross is the, the great exchange. Not just that, that Jesus has died to, to cancel our sin. We sing this song. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood. It, it cancels out my sin and righteousness. And what's righteousness? I mean, that's the life of Jesus. That's the, that everything that Jesus has done, is, God sees me doing. That's where justification comes from. And Jerry Bridges, one of my favorite authors on this subject, he says this. He says, the gospel is such good news. Your story is, is this way. That just as God the Father says to Jesus the Son at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration, this is my Son and with him I'm well pleased. Listen, have you ever heard this before? God says to you, you are my son, you are my daughter, and with you I'm well pleased. That's amazing. That's your story. And so we need to hear the good news of the gospel to be refreshed and to be revived. Otherwise, we may never really help other people to hear the gospel. And so I hope that this morning, so far, you, you've been stirred a little bit. You, you, you've seen that, that the gospel is, is bigger news than, than I have first thought. And that, that you'd spend maybe the rest of your Christianity, we, we call it this in our church, mining the depths of the beauty of what Jesus, who Jesus is and what the gospel is. Does that make sense? Mining the depths of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This is what John says to us. That which we've seen, we proclaim to you so that we might be joyful. And you can be joyful even though, though we sin. There's all these yets and, and, and buts uh, in the Bible. Uh, God's steadfast, patient love for us. Go home and read Psalm... Uh, I don't have enough time to read it this morning, but Psalm 78. 
And look towards the middle chapter, about verse 31, 32. It says, they, they sinned. Uh, they continued to sin, so God killed them. Uh, and, and, and so then they repented, but only with their, their lips and not with their hearts. And, and, and yet, God still loved them. It's crazy. And so, what I want to do then is, is just application. You have a story. Um, John has a story. And John wants you to know the, the amazingness of the gospel that we might believe the story and we might be refreshed and we might go out and tell other people the story so that they might be made new also. And so for application, uh, what I want to give you is how in the world do you find this kind of stuff in, in your daily Bible reading? How do you find the gospel every time you, you read your Bible? How do you do something like that with, with Leviticus chapter 15? Like, like, teach me how to do that. That's what I want to finish to end on. In, in our church, um, every sermon I prepare, every Bible study, every coffee talk, and we call it the secret sauce. You know, KFC's got original spices or something. Coca-Cola's got their secret sauce. They lock them up in vaults. Um, ours, like, we share it. We tell everybody we can because we want them to see how, like, hopefully you've seen how big the gospel is. Now I want this not just to be for, for an hour and a half. I want you to go home and be able to continue to do this. And so kids, um, you've got the outline in front of you, and you can share that with your mom and, uh, moms and dads later. Um, but, but here's how. Uh, when you're reading your Bible, um, you, you need to find the gospel. You need to, to hear your story. You need to hear the way God saves us. Pop open your Bible. There's seven questions that I think that you should be asking ourselves. The first question is this. So we open up our Bibles. Um, the first question is, who is God? I'm reading this passage, and what does it tell me about who God is? So most of the time, when you, when you flip open your Bible, what, what do you read it? What are you trying to find? Just a proposition, like, God, what do you want me to do today, right? You're trying to find um, basic instruction before leaving earth. So, uh, that's, that's, a, that's a poor way to read the Bible, I think. And so the first thing, who is God? Real quick, popcorn, kind of just, we're running out of time, so same fast. What do you know about God? Tell me some attributes of God. Say them loud so everybody can hear you. Huh? Omniscience. He's omniscient, so he, he's all-knowing. What else do you know about God? He never sins, he's, so he's holy. What else? He's loving, he's merciful, right? So you know all these things about God. And so when you open it up your Bible, he's compassionate. First John this morning, what, do you, what does that teach us about God? He's from the beginning. He's transcendent. He's other. Yet he's compassionate because he came to dwell with us. He's merciful and he cares. So the first question is, who, who is God? And, and only then, the, the second question, um, who am I? What, is this, what does this passage say about me? Or what does it say about, what about people? And what are you going to get there? Usually bad news, right? Well, there's some good news. You're created in God's image. You have inherent value and worth because God made you. And yet, even though he made you, we've rebelled and, and we're sinful. And so here's a, a good second question. Who am I? And the third question, um, and, and upon this third question, is where most preaching and Bible studies typically end. And we say, who is God and who am I? Uh, knowing those things, we can come with a, a conclusion. Um, therefore, uh, what should I do? And the, the Bible says, don't commit adultery. And so what, what, what do you say? Well, okay, I, I, I should not do that. Um, well, in, in our church, um, there are lots of swear words, um, but two... The, the, uh, two in our church uh, are should and just. Should and just are swear words in our church um, because they're crushing and grinding and they just kill people. Have you ever walked, you ever needed help from, from the pastor and, and, and not, not here, but other places and I had a friend that this has happened to and, 
You should just read your Bible more. You should just have more faith. You should just pray harder. How does that how does it typically make somebody feel? It's just crushing and grinding. Can I, can I tell you a quick Bible story about that? Remember the story of the rich young ruler? Remember him? He, he came to Jesus and, and he said, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus said, you should just try harder. Right? And Jesus is kind of playing a game on him. And he says, I have. I, I've kept every law. Remember that? I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm crushed to death. I don't know what to do anymore. I, sh- I should all that I can and it's not enough. So shooting is not enough. Should just doesn't work. And so the, the way to see the gospel then is, is this. This fourth question is so, so important. We say this. Um, let's be honest. How have I failed to do what I ought? How have I failed to do what I should? Does that make sense? And so I think when you answer that question, you see that you're needy, you're dependent. And this isn't just books like Leviticus. And this is, this is books... Uh, this is New Testament. What, you know what the New Testament command to pray is? What's the New Testament command to pray? Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? That's what the Bible says about praying. No. The New Testament says pray without ceasing. How many of you guys are killing that one? Right? Now killing it. Right? Like, no, you're not. You, you have not done what you need to do. What's the good news of the Gospel? Then we get on to the fifth question. How has Jesus done this thing perfectly? And see, there's all the glory of the Gospel right there. Jesus has prayed perfectly. Jesus has not committed adultery. Jesus has not murdered, but He has been murdered. Jesus has, Matthew chapter 5, fulfilled the law. The sixth question then is the application. How is Christ's death sufficient and satisfactory for my sin of not doing what I ought to do? And how is the resurrection of Jesus empowering me to be transformed to live as I ought to? Isn't that what, what Romans um, chapter 8 is talking about? And you guys know Romans chapter 8, verse number 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, and when you answer the question, how have I not done this? Can you be glad that Jesus has done this perfectly? And God's received me, therefore there is now no condemnation. And, and you skip down a couple of verses in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse number 11 is, is again one of my favorite verses of the Bible, but I've said that about 15 times this morning, haven't I? Uh, but Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead gives life to your mortal bodies. Did you know that? Uh, the, you guys know what a defibrillator is, right? And so a defibrillator, you walk, go to the hospital, or um, they're almost anywhere anymore, and somebody, somebody is, is dying, their heart has stopped, they're dead. You take the defibrillator, you charge it up, and you go, clear! Right? And they come back to life. And so it says, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, so the same Holy Spirit that walked into the tomb, cranked up the defibrillator, and made the Son of God come back to life. That's amazing, right? The same God who made that come back, Jesus come back to life is the same Spirit that gives life to your mortal bodies. And that's power. And so how is God shaping you and sanctifying you and changing you? And I wouldn't just say enabling you to keep His law, but empowering you to keep it. Making you to want to keep it. Making you to, to delight in keeping it. And then uh, lastly, question number seven. Because the gospel is true, therefore, what am I going to do? And th- those are the good words that we replace should and just with in our church. We say, don't say should and just. Like you should just pray more. I would say this. And because you're filled with the Holy Spirit, because God cannot break His promises, 
Because when you don't even know how to pray as you ought, the Holy Spirit is interceding with you for you with groanings too deep for words. Is that, how, see how it works? That's pretty cool. And so if you walk through those seven things, I think that you would do this. You would have a, a similar kind of daily experience as John, who wrote 1 John chapter 1. You would be glad about this one who was from the beginning and has come into your life, come to be a part of your story. And you, being refreshed and revived, might be able to, to go out and preach the gospel to your friends and to your family. And when, when the gospel is good news to you, you're going to share it. I think that's, that's uh, my thesis. So, kids, I think that you probably have a couple other notes left on your, um, your bulletins. And moms and dads, you might have a couple questions, too, about what we're talking this morning. And so I, I'm not sure what happens next. I think I get something from the treasure chest, right? Like that's, what, isn't that how it goes? No, I don't. I want something, too, man. Come on. I'm a kid. Um, so, so there's a couple more blanks. And, and how about if I just kind of, because uh, I think my time's up, um, uh, fill in those blanks for you guys as, as I talk with the kids. Does that sound cool? Can we do that? All right. Church, here's what I want you to do. When you experience Jesus and the gospel, you will enjoy God. And you will be transformed by Jesus and the gospel. And when that happens, you will, having not just told yourself the good news of the gospel, you will tell other people the good news of the gospel. Okay? So God, um, I pray for um, Pastor Steve's church here. I pray for Rock Valley Bible Church. I pray, um, God, that they would continue to be um, astounded and joyful about what makes the gospel good news. I pray, God, that you would help us to see um, this, the, the struggle of man, our sin um, is so ugly. Um, we're still so dependent, so needy. We continue to do things like Paul says. Uh, why do we do the things that we hate to do? And yet, God, we're able to sing the song, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. It's nailed to the cross and we own it no more. So, alleluia and praise the Lord. God, um, help us and bless the preaching of your word and teach us. We might um, see Jesus and enjoy his beauty. So, we love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.